Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Caspar McLeod, and joining me for this week is his second time this season. Eli Duxon is back on. Eli, it's a pleasure to have you on. I hope you've been doing well. How have you been doing? Been doing very well. Been, been very busy, and I've been very emotional watching my Brisbane Lions play. Um, but I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit later. But otherwise, life's good, mate. Good to be back. Good, good, good kind of emotions? Not really. <laughs> if we're being honest, it's uh, up and down, roller coaster, but still very early in the season and plenty mm. of time uh, to bounce back. So fingers mm. crossed those emotions do flip at some point soon. In case this is your first time listening, dear listener, first off, welcome. You're very much welcome. Please make yourself at home. Don't forget to check out previous episodes as well. This podcast is basically divided into three sections. First section, we'll each give our top highlight, top low light of round three. Second section, we will then talk about the five main talking points to come out of the round. Some weeks are easier than others to talk about five talking points. Last week, it was really difficult to narrow it down to five talking points. This week, it was actually really difficult to find five talking points, I think. Um, not not a, not a heck of a lot to talk about that coming out of that round, but we'll get to that in, in later on. And in the third section, we will then preview what promises to be a monster Easter weekend round four of the AFL season. But let's start off with the top highlight. Eli, I'll let you kick off for this one. What was your top highlight? Yeah, look, I think it might be a bit of an obvious one, but I was at the game on Thursday, Brisbane versus Bulldogs, mm. and it's got to be Jamara's moment. Um, mm. Early in the game, Nicky Winmar-esque, um, after going through a fair bit the previous week and throughout the whole week, I imagine it wouldn't have been easy on him. So um, as much as... I would have liked for him to kick a goal and five at that against another opponent. Um, it was great to see him uh, be able to have, wouldn't really, can you call it taking a stance? Cause he, sh- he really shouldn't have to be these yeah. days, you know, it's, it's, um, he shouldn't have to be doing that. So, um, but whatever you want to call it, it was fantastic. And that was definitely my highlight of the week, albeit out of some indifferent circumstances, but mm. um yeah, it wasn't a great night otherwise for my boys, but we'll touch on that later. What was your top highlight for the week, Casper? Um, well said, Jamara. Um, I think that's the moment of the season, and it's going to be pretty difficult to top that, especially the 30th, approaching the 30th anniversary of when Nick, Nicky Wimart did that at uh, Victoria Park back in the 90s. Um, but I am going to say my top highlight, and it's a little bit weird. I normally don't do this, but... Saturday night footy at the MCG, both St. Kilda and Essendon, I thought put in a mature performance that I think has shown how much the two teams have grown, but for different reasons. St. Kilda got off to a big start and then it looked like they were going to choke away the game. And there has been moments over the last couple of seasons, last three seasons under wraps, where they had a big lead and they just they choked it away because they weren't mature enough. And it kept happening again and again and again and again. Happened in his first game in 2020. They gave away a five-goal lead against North Melbourne. And Reese Shaw, you remember him as head coach of North Melbourne? That's how long ago that was. Round one in front of an empty ground at Marvel Stadium. Um, it happened multiple times and it looked like it was going to happen again. Really mature performance from St. Kilda. Such a big event, 69,000 people. The biggest ever home and away crowd for a St. Kilda home game during the home and away season. Great to be a part of that. Um, great to see all of their, well, most of their um, 
uh, legends coming out there. Great to see Tony Lockett looking really fit. I don't know <laughs> if you saw him. He looks great. My dad said that, you know, if it was, if Tony Lockett had, um, had looked that good during his playing days, he might have kicked 2,000 goals. Um, by the way, Plugger, if you're listening to that, my dad means no offense by that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, don't worry. We're not going to be. Yeah, running back into traffic with you oh, coming yeah, out of the no, way. No, That's, no, no, don't no. plan on doing that anytime soon. No, 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 absolutely not. No, thank you. I like living. Um, <laughs> but also a mature performance from the Bombers as well, just because there were games that, and yes, it's disappointing to, on two separate occasions, give up five goals in a row. But if you take that away, we were actually, I think, by far the better team. And it seems kind of an obvious thing to say, but I think it's a sign of growing maturity where compared to last year, we also had multiple slow starts to games. We ended up losing by 80 points, 60 to 80 points, right? Happened against Geelong, happened against Sydney, happened against Port a couple of times. Um, so to, to show that improvement is really promising as an Essendon supporter. So I thought both teams did really, really well. I was kind of really worried when that uh, when that fixture was first released, that is going to be a bit of a dud and what a Saturday night it turned out to be. But of course, for every single highlight, there is a low light. Bit difficult to pick a low light for this one. And I am going to pick Port Adelaide. And it feels like we talk about Ken Hinckley every single week on this podcast. But when you're when you've been coached for 10 years now. And the closest you've come to premiership success is a six-point loss in a prelim final. And you've had a pretty good list in that time, a pretty good list in that time. But you, as a coach and as a club, are unable and perhaps unwilling to put an end to a six- or seven-goal run at the end of a game that's been pretty close up until that point. Your arch rival and you spend more time complaining about being able to wear a jumper, then perhaps you did it actually training, preparing for the match. I don't know. That's what it seemed like. For me, it was kind of a little bit like the Liberal Party at the moment. With the Liberal Party, they spend time talking about all these social issues, talking about transgender uh, policies and talking about climate change policy and all that. And they seem to have forgotten that the main thing is that they've got to actually govern and they've got to present policies for governing. It kind of feels like that a little bit. And then they got smacked in every single election over the last three years. Kind of feels like that for Port heading in uh, out of this game against the Crows. Feels like they were all talk and all bravado about being able to wear the wear the jumper. They ran out into a through a banner that just basically said, "Hey, through the banner." That's what this name of the podcast is called. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. Um, that said heritage. And it was very, like, it's all very symbolic. And then they get smacked. It was like, hey, there's a football game that you need to train for. Did you guys train for this at all? Or did you just spend your time freaking patting yourselves on the back for being able to pull off this jumper heist? So, yeah, for me, Port Adelaide, major low light. That game against Brisbane seems a million years ago now. And either that was a flash in the pan or maybe Brisbane really, really sucked this year. But yeah, that for me was the low light this round, Port Adelaide. Yeah, it was, it's it's an interesting watch there. And I'll touch on Brisbane a bit later, no doubt. But um, yeah, I've got to agree with you. that They've looked a, a far cry from where they were round one. And at that point, I was thinking, well, maybe Port Adelaide are better than probably what we all thought they would be. And watching mm. them play and seeing their lists, it's probably a fair call. 
But then the way they've gone about the last couple of weeks is, um, has been a little bit disappointing on their end. Yeah, you'll take a loss against Collingwood, probably not by that many points, but um, yeah, to lose to Crom in the showdown, mm. um, yeah, that's that would be disappointing for them. But uh, my low light for this round probably more more in jest. It's got to be uh, North sitting two and one, mm. three and zero. Oh. I was my um my Ow. girlfriend's dad was talking. There was a stat that came out. I think it was seventy one percent of teams that start two and zero go on to play finals and. He's a realistic supporter, you know. He brought that up in jest, but he then he goes, you know, three and zero. That percentage, I'm sure, will uh will definitely look a lot better for for his boys. And again, in jest, but they probably would have expected to go three and zero in that game. And we're not saying it's going to lead to finals by any means, but uh, would it still a disappointing loss for them, especially with the momentum that they have built over the last couple of weeks and the support um, or the hype that their supporters would have had. And a bit of optimism more than anything, you know. And it's and again, it's not to say that they're playing finals forty in twenty twenty three, but it gives them something to cling on to and look forward to, and actually attend the games for because they're in it, they're competitive, they're having a go, and that's what any footy fan wants at the, at the end of the day. And look, I'm not going to say it's a massive disappointment that they lost. If you had said a month ago that Hawthorne would have beat North by three goals, you would have thought, okay, yeah, that's, that's about that's, right. Yeah, it's it's not entirely unreasonable, even though. We we're well aware of where Hawthorne was going to be sitting this year, but um, that was probably low light for me, especially watching the game with my North supporting girlfriend, who was uh, yeah quite displeased. We'll say we'll say that, but um, let's not forget LDU Jai Simpkin out, two very big outs for for their list. Um, so won't harp on it too much, but um, you're right, it's hard hard to pick low lights out of this round. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was probably it for me, and of course, one is probably. Geelong's efforts. Well, we'll get to the cats in a second. Yeah. I do I do want to mention though, just on that two and oh, that two and oh start to the season. And don't worry, North Melbourne supporters. I'm also going to mention Essendon because this relates to us as well. 2020, believe it or not, at the end of round two 2020, there was only three teams that hadn't had a loss yet. Port Adelaide, Essendon, and North Melbourne. Of those three, yeah, Port Adelaide who finished minor premiers. That makes sense. They made finals. Meanwhile, North Melbourne finished second last. Only won one more game for the rest of the season. And Essendon completely crashed and fell apart. Started, what, I think four and two and won like three more games for the rest of the year. That was it. So I'm just saying, North Melbourne supporters and fellow Essendon supporters, let's not get our hopes up just yet. <laughs> Okay, and hey, before any Saints supporters make fun of me for that, right? Okay, you guys were eight and three last year, and you still missed finals. Just saying, just saying. But anyways, on to the Cats. For the first time since 1976, speaking of North Melbourne, a reigning premier has started the season zero and three. Now the Kangaroos that season managed to actually make the grand final but they still ran out of petrol tickets and ended up losing pretty comfortably. It's kind of mind-boggling, though, that the Cats have just completely fallen apart. I want to ask you, like, what the heck is going on at the Cattery? Is it is it is it temporary problems? Can you put it down to just injuries? Because they are getting absolutely slammed by injuries at the moment. Or is it deeper than that? Is it the fact that they have seemingly run out of hunger? What do you think? 
Well, look, I've got a bit of egg on my face at the moment because it was barely a month ago I was on this podcast and I had them as grand final locks. And if anyone has listened to uh, episodes which feature me and have gotten towards the tips, you'll know that I'm a pretty ordinary tipster. And you're probably going to hear that again at the end of, end of this show. Um, when we went <laughs> through the banner podcast regroups in a week's time, you think, man, Eli sucks. He's got no idea I'm not listening to him again. And you'd be right. But look, I don't think it's into the world for the Cats. It hasn't been a great start, admittedly, but the first two games against Collingwood and Carlton, they got outworked all around the ground, but they still showed glimpses and they still gave themselves chances to win that game. Collingwood kicked away and it was only eight points against Carlton, but they were in those games for large portions of it. And you can argue whether that they whether they looked convincing enough to actually get over the line or not, but they still gave themselves a chance to win. But Gold Coast is a tough one to swallow for them um, because it's not ideal, but fans could at least accept the quality of the first two opponents. Colin would have shown they're going to probably be a very, very good football side this year again. And Carlton had a good year last year, let's be honest, just missed finals, barely. Um, but they're probably going to be up around the mix for the eight again. But against Gold Coast, they got beat up in the contest and they still gave themselves enough chances moving forward to have a crack at winning, but they were uncharacteristically inaccurate in front of goal. And that's something every time I watch the Geelong game, they make the most of their chances. They get good ball movement going forward to give themselves good shots on goal. And they had, they've got high quality forwards that can finish it and, Jeremy Cameron's had a great start to the year, but Tom Hawkins clearly isn't 100%. Um, so I don't think it's panic stations yet for Geelong. There's still 20, 20 games to go, and they've got Hawthorne and West Coast coming up. So they should be able to steady the ship and get back to the way they want to play. But I think after that, they've got Sydney. So it's still there's no there's not going to be a lot of easy games this year. We're probably going to see that even a lot of the teams falling within that 9 to 13 bracket are going to be tough opponents on any given day. So I think we've got our expectations built up because that was so dominant last year and they just haven't recaptured that form. And look, it is a while ago. Joel Solwood's out of that team. He's not the difference maker. Um, he, he's not like he left in career best form, but is there a bit of heart and soul missing? Danger probably hasn't had the best start to the season that he wanted to skip up. With, he's obviously got more things to worry about, but let's be honest, he's been the AFLPA president in that time. So he's um, certainly used to dealing with added responsibility while playing. Not to mention commentating. Exactly. Yeah. He's doing it all that bloke. So um, look, I don't think it's panic stations. Plenty of the season left to go and a couple of, we should, at least at this stage, we should say very winnable games. Um, if in a couple of weeks time, they've lost both of those games, then then we'll regroup and say there's definitely bigger problems, but they should be able to steady the ship and prime themselves for a stronger middle to back end of the year. So I'm not writing them off as yet because as I, again, as I said in that, in the season preview podcast with the Casper, many people have written them off for the last couple of decades um, at some point. And we even said at some point they've got to fall. Me, me. Hey, I tipped them to this finals in 2022. <laughs> There you go. So at some point they've got to fall. I just don't think it's this year. But yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that because it's 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 a baffling one, really, isn't it? I first okay. So firstly, I think we have this expectation of Geelong not just because of 2022, but because they always seem to make finals football. 
Yeah, and we know that they can string together a win of games, a, a massive streak of games, I should say. That's the streak of wins. And when injured players come back in the second half of the year, they have like nine games at Geelong from round six onwards, which is going to be massively helpful. We know they're probably going to win all those or at least eight out of those nine. So I think I'm I'm reluctant to call curtains on them just yet. I know David King did that, and David King has called it the end of the end of an era. But it is really concerning watching Geelong at the moment. And I think again, I'm gonna make my second political reference to the Liberals. I just like the fact that the Liberals are falling apart at the moment. But anyways, um I'll I'll mention this, right? The Cats round one was a little bit like the Liberals' performance in Victoria at the 2022 federal election, right? Lost a couple of seats to the Teals, moderate wing completely, uh, almost completely eliminated in Victoria. Okay, bad. But, you know, it's a one-off. You expect them to bounce back. Okay, fine. Got this state election. Surely they'll do better than the previous state election when coming up against such a quote-unquote unpopular premier in Dan Andrews. Um, yeah, that did not happen. It was another bad loss, and you think, okay, warning bells starting to toll a little bit, but you know what? It's got to turn around eventually. And then comes the Aston by-election in a massive loss, a 103-year first in Australian politics. Now, I know that 1976 wasn't 103 years ago, but in football terms, it's almost as bad as what happened there in politics. Now, um, I think my major concern with Geelong is watching Access All Areas, which is a great program, by the way, definitely should check that out. Not saying that because they sponsor us, although it would be amazing if they did. Just watching some of the clips, just the skill errors and the lack of effort, which I think points to it's, it's less about injuries and about who's out there but it's also about heart it's about effort it's about want and it just goes to show how difficult it is to win back to back because you've got to maintain that hunger which I think just shows how great Brisbane three in a row Hawthorne three in a row Richmond 2019-2020 have been just because it is just so difficult to maintain that hunger year after year Matthew Lloyd talks about how Essendon in 2001 didn't have enough hunger to win the flag. And they had a pretty damn good year in 2001, the Bombers. Uh, Thanks for that, by the way. Belated thank you. (laughs) Um, But for me, I think I'm starting to see... Now, Chris Scott, he always comes across as very cool, very calm, right? But I think think I'm starting to see just a little bit of desperation from him, bringing back Tom Stewart into a defense that was absolutely hammered by Charlie Kerno and, and Mackay in round two, when he's had such a serious injury only two weeks earlier, I think reeks of desperation. Why would you risk one of your most crucial players rushing back from a serious injury after only two weeks? This season is long. You don't have to bring him back probably until the round 10, round 11. I think Chris Scott's starting to get a little bit desperate. I think his team doesn't have enough hunger. And I think on Dangerfield, I normally don't have an issue with players having media uh, media roles. 
But I don't think Dangerfield is handling being the president of the Players Association, being captain of Geelong, and having commentating roles with Channel 7 every single week. I think that's a major, major, major problem. Because if you can't spend 100% of your time focused as a player on training and on the next game on getting better and as captain on your roles as captain, then why even still play? If frankly, at that point, if you want to be in media, then be in media, retire, or don't be the captain, but you've put your hand up to be captain. You've been voted as captain, got big shoes to fill. Why not dedicate 100% of your time to it? So I think Geelong, a tiny bit like the Liberals at the moment, are in denial a little bit. You should play a drinking game. Everyone take a shot every single time I mention the Liberal Party. No, don't. We 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 are for responsible drinking on this podcast, but not, not a bad that idea. That would be highly irresponsible. <laughs> it would be highly irresponsible, which is why I'm not doing that, because I'm very responsible. But I think there are major problems at Geelong. And truthfully, we'll get onto this. I wouldn't be surprised if Hawthorne beat them. You know what's amazing? 18th on the ladder, Geelong. There's still $9 odds for winning the Premiership. Hawthorne, a team above them with one win more than them at $251 odds. I cannot remember seeing that where the 17th place team is at $242 worse odds to win the Premiership than the 18th place team. I don't think I have ever seen that before. In my entire life. That is crazy. Simply, simply, simply put, this season is absolutely bonkers so far. So we go from one team that has been a disappointment so far to another team that's been a disappointment so far. And I'll let you take this one to start off with. <laughs> uh, what is happening with Brisbane? You had a great three and a half quarters until the blackout happened against Melbourne. But aside from that, it's been pretty shocking. It has been. It really has been. And I think Brisbane fans have come across as quite fickle on the socials. And it's obviously been a lot of reportage on it because expectations were so high coming into the season. But I've heard a lot of ridiculous things about who to sack, sack everyone, sack the list manager I saw. And it's like, well, first of all, he's wow. put together pretty bloody, well, and the, the team, I should say, uh, Dom and Brojo and, uh, and, and his team have put together a very good side. So, the quality on the park is not the problem. And yeah, you mentioned Port. I was obviously frustrated with that, but I was happy to scratch it off as a bit of a mulligan, you know, bad start to the season and we bounce back. So I was like, okay, it's just a, that's a bit of an outlier. Certainly not ideal, um, but it's a long season. We move on quickly and we looked great against the D's, but it was a shocking game all round versus dogs. Not just, not just us. It was, I was at the game and um, probably didn't, get to see the uh, particular specifics too much about how poor the game actually looked. But uh, I can imagine it wasn't pretty viewing for anyone, especially the neutral fam. Um, and I took to that game. Um, I've got a Japanese friend, Ryuta. He his first game of AFL footy. He loved it. He didn't know any better in terms of the actual skill. Um, one thing he did say to me as he was leaving was he loved the last quarter. And I was like, well, I'm glad someone did. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so on the on the dogs game really, which is probably one that we can probably look at a bit more intently because we were in the game somehow. Um, but 
the standout is obviously the forward line and Danner and Hip would have come under a lot of duress. Um, and I think fair enough, they'll beat up in the contested situations. Gunston was great. Um, but the ball movement to them was very passive long down the line sort of stuff as we had done or as we have done for the last few years since we've been good, let's say. Um, but the Bulldogs are able to clog the lane pretty well. And those long down the line kicks generally work when your forwards are actually competing and, I don't know, creating a stoppage down the line or halving the contest, but they just weren't doing that. They were getting beaten. And beyond those contests, obviously they didn't look great. And, oh, sorry, I'll backtrack a little bit. The slow ball movement really didn't help because what we've seen, what we saw through the preseason and we've seen in glimpses was that one of Dano or Hipwood would push up the ground a little bit, act as a bit of a link player. But they weren't able to do that because it, we were just so passive with the ball. But once it did get into a forward line, the Bulldogs just got it out far too easily. Last year, I think the Lions averaged 17 ground ball gets inside forward 50 or forward half. It was something like that. On the on Thursday, we only had three. And it really, thinking back on it now, it, it really shows because there were never any periods where, of course, except for a few, Throughout the whole game, it really didn't feel like we're able to apply enough pressure in our forward 50 to really have more opportunities on goal. Now, against the Demons, that pressure was manic and we were able to really hold it in and give ourselves good chance and good looks in front in front of goal. So that was that's probably the biggest concern that I have at the moment. And look, McStay, is, he wasn't a big loss in terms of stats, but that's probably what we're missing now is someone who could bring it to ground and provide another strong option in the air. And I think that's probably why we've maybe gone towards having McInerney and Fort in the ruck um, as opposed to last year having Danaher pinch hitting because we need another tall option to be able to bring it to ground when we do get a forward or at least be competitive in the air. Um, but what I will say is our defense was incredible and that's something that's that has come under fire over the last year and people were scrut uh, scrutinizing our off-season acquisitions because we didn't really do anything to uh, assist the, the defensive six or at least the defensive half of the ground. I was a bit bullish on that. I never really thought that was the problem because I knew that the quality in our back six or seven was still good enough. It was just a team defense and we probably saw that on the weekend because Harris Andrews was unbelievable. Brandon Stasevich was great. We missed Daniel Rich a little bit. He doesn't provide a lot in defensive pressure. Um, but the whole back six did really well. Jack Payne was fantastic. He's really stepped up his game with a, a more consistent role. And if it wasn't for them, we would have we would have been well out of the game. At every break, I thought to myself, I'm happy with this, with this uh, margin because it should be a lot more. And realistically, we were probably only a 10-minute patch away, a brilliant 10-minute patch away from being ahead in the game and probably well ahead. It wouldn't have taken long for us to really overcome that margin. So it wasn't to be in the end, and Bulldogs definitely deserved the win because we were horrid. Um, but moving forward, speed on the ball has to be our friend. Um, we've been one of the highest scoring teams for the last few seasons, I believe. Don't have the exact stats in front of me. And we're generally exciting to watch. One of Danaher or Hipwood has to push up the ground to link um, and just really create a bit of space in that 
uh, forward 50 for Charlie Cameron to go to work in. He had, he had a bit of a down night. Lincoln McCarthy hasn't had a great start to the season. Uh, I, I don't, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. They could be, uh, they could counteract this, but I think Zach Bailey didn't quite have the performance he had. He has had in the last, in the first two games. Um, so it's, it's, it's a weird one. It is really a weird one. And I think because we have such high expectations as fans, and I think as a neutral supporter, probably would have had high expectations on Brisbane coming into the season. It hasn't been a great start. Like I said, which along, there's plenty of time left to rectify it. And we normally have been a good team at bouncing back from pretty tough losses. And we're going to have to do that because Collingwood Thursday night at the Gabba, it's going to be a big task. Collingwood's look fantastic. And look, if we lose, I don't mind, as any fan doesn't mind. It's as long as we compete and have the effort, uh, show show effort. Um, like you're saying, Geelong probably hasn't shown as much. And that's a frustrating thing. You'll If both teams play well, one team generally has to lose. And you're going to wear that sometimes. And I can accept that if we have a crack. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird one because the effort's only really been there, like you said, for three and a half quarters. And after the blackout, I don't really mind what happened there. It was obviously bad to lose that lead. Um, but I think we sort of parked the bus a little bit there. But generally, if against, the, against the Demons, we were bloody awesome. Port Adelaide were terrible. Bulldogs were terrible. So we need to respond like we usually do because Collingwood has been fantastic. So if we uh, if we reconvene in a week time and the Brisbane's had a, a big loss, um, as we did in 2019, in the 2019 is the Thursday game after a good start. Uh, and then we lost to Essendon a week after that um, by a fair bit of the G. It's not going to look great for us. So need to respond and at least show something that shows that we can compete with the top teams because I've got no doubt Collingwood will be up there again as much as it pains me to say. But that's from a fan's perspective. And I'm probably there's probably a lot of unconscious bias or very conscious bias, let's say. Um, so yeah, how, how are you reading it so far, Casper? Because it hasn't been pretty viewing. No, it hasn't. Um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned in there that you don't understand the criticism of the list management and you don't understand the calls for the list manager to be sacked. I want to ask you, though, a point that's been heavily criticised in the media, especially by some footy commentators, is that Eric Hipwood was given that absolutely monster contract extension. As Kane Corns pointed out, he has more years left on that contract than he has average disposals so far in 2023, which is a fantastic stat. But as well as that, you have Joe Danaher. And I want to ask your opinion about Eric Hipwood and Joe Danaher as the main one-two punch in the forward line, because it seems that Eric Hipwood is ineffective 95% of the time. And Joey Danaher is, uh, well, the word that I think Matthew Lloyd and Kane Corns used was frustrating 95% of the time. I want to ask your opinion as a supporter. What do you think of those two players as your mainstays in that forward line? I think the criticism back towards list management is in even in those um in those two contracts isn't probably still warranted. Regardless, Hipwood was going to be on our team this year. Um, even if he was given a three-year contract. Um, I understand that the length of it is probably what's been the biggest uh concern there, but um regardless, those two are going to be playing football for the Brisbane Lions this year. So they've still got to be able to show something uh that beyond the contracts that shows that they're 
going to be the one-two punch that takes us to a flag. And you're right. It hasn't been pretty viewing, but the there's still been enough glimpses that to show that they're still very capable forwards. Before Joe Danaher's uh, shoulder injury last year, before round nine, I think he was averaging almost three goals a game. Uh, and he was looking fantastic. Then his form dropped off a bit. Hipwood still last year was recovering from the ACL, but he was fantastic in the final series. So I think they've both shown that they're still very capable footballers. And yes, the length of the contracts, I, I personally didn't didn't agree with the Hipwood um, contracts. But when we picked up Joe Danaher, I don't think there would have been as many qualms about that because he still showed he's a fantastic footballer. And there's probably some things outside of his on-field performance that might be impacting it. Um, and I'm not going to speculate as to what that is. Um, I know he's moved regionally this year, so that might be part of what he's trying to do to prepare himself better off-field. Um, but I, I don't think that that's not the list manager's fault. On paper, there's very valuable assets to a football side. Are they the one-two that's going to be like rival? Hawkins Cameron last year, uh, Charlie Kerner, Harry Mackay, maybe not. But you look at the Melbourne Premiership forward line and Ben Brown, who was probably um, didn't quite capture that uh, the form he had North Melbourne, where I think he was probably close to Coleman, one or two years, maybe 60 goals um, at some point. Um, then outside of that, you had valuable uh, small forwards roaming around that. So it's not so much about the the quality of those two players such is about how they fit in with the team. And I think Luke Hodge rightly pointed out the lack of role players that Brisbane have had so far. It's a team full of champions and not a champion team. Um, and I think that's that's quite apt with this Brisbane side at the moment. So they don't have to be kicking, neither of them have to kick, or sorry, both of them don't have to kick 60 goals to constitute their, or to warrant their contracts because no one's probably going to be expecting that. If, if they do do that, they Great. Harry McCoy, Charlie Curnow both did that last year, or at least very close to it. Um, and that's fantastic. But I think for what's worked well for Brisbane for so long is that you had Charlie Cameron, who is, I think, consistently finished top 10 in the Coleman uh, tally over the last few years. And we got valuable contributions from those small forwards, like your Lincoln McCarthy, Zach Bailey's, not Dane Zorko last year, but Zorko previously, and he showed against Melbourne that he's still got um, enough X factor to be able to impact games like that. So it is an interesting one, and I don't think the criticism should be going back to Dom and Brogio and the list management team, specifically about having them as our key forwards. Length of the contract, I understand that. I think that might be warranted. But at the end of the day, they're still very good footballers, and there's still enough time in the year to show what they can do. And I think working with Gunston, the more they work together and the more that our flaws have been exposed, that's only going to be more beneficial. You don't want this stuff creeping up later in the year. And I think now that it's all out there in front of them, I think it's going to be valuable. And there's a new four line coach, Murray Davis. He was the defensive coach last year. Um, not that he's going to bring any sweeping changes into the way that the four line operates, but there is still opportunity for growth there. And I think if they're mature enough to realize that, then I still think that they could very well be the one-two punch that can get us deep into September. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand the criticism there, but that should be more on the players rather than the list management itself. Now, on to a team that has had a decent start to the season, 
but hit a massive roadblock. I want to ask you, Eli, everyone was talking about the Swans possibly having their mental demons. And the first two weeks, everyone was saying, what mental demons? Because they had big wins, albeit against pretty inferior competitions. And then they come up against the actual demons at the MC. <laughs> and I want to ask you, do they have an MCG problem? And is that the mental demons from last year's grand final? Again, it's a hard one to say because similar to Brisbane's hoodoo there, the, the sample size was so small in how often they played the MCG. And the last year, then correct me if I'm wrong, but you knocked off Melbourne twice their last year and one in the qualifying final. Um, so I don't think there's a problem as such with the MCG. It could be around the... Um, they did lose to Essendon at the MCG. I'll yeah, say that. There you go. Yeah, nine point nine point uh, difference there. Yeah. So um, I think it says more about the performance on the day than the ground itself. It's hard to say. You know, it's this is probably one that will always be uh, in the zeitgeist because it's especially after with the Bulldogs as well. It's the same thing when they come up against the Demons. Like, well, as the grand final scar them from that game. Um, scarred them moving forward, I should say. So there might be some scarring, maybe. It's hard to say. I think it was more about the performance, but the players do so much training and take so much care with the mental aspects um, of footy um, and life in general. So you'd hope that scarring isn't the issue there and it was just a bad, bad performance. Um, but yeah, again, as a Brisbane fan, I try not to read too much into those hoodoos um, because they always do need to have a little asterisk next to them. Um, because like I said, the sample size for Sydney playing at the MCG is so small, but they've got Richmond and Collingwood uh, coming up this year. So I think it'd be more after those games, I think we'll be better off having this discussion. And Richmond's um, in Adelaide though. Is it? It is magic round. Oh, but actually no, they do play each other later in the year. This is sorry, just a side rant. This is so weird about Magic Round, right? Because it doesn't count as a home game for those who are listed as home teams, despite the fact that both South Australian teams actually do play at their home ground against non-South Australian teams, but that's besides the point. How on earth, like, you have Richmond, it's listed as Richmond versus Sydney, right? That's literally what it is, Richmond versus Sydney. So you think, okay, Richmond versus Sydney, Richmond versus Sydney, right? Okay, so that must mean that if they play later on in the year, that must mean it's Sydney versus Richmond. No, it's Richmond versus Sydney again. Now, <laughs> as a Swan supporter, I don't mind the fact that we get as many opportunities as possible to play at the MCG, but I mean, come on. That's kind of ridiculous, don't you think? Yep, and yeah, research isn't just a suburb, Casper. They do play them round 17 <laughs> at the MCG. Um so, I yeah, no, that. good call with that. If um, if that game wasn't so close, uh, again, egg on my face again. Um, but, yes, I, I did think I had that right. Um, they, they've got them later in the year. So, yeah, probably looking well ahead to the, the next Richmond matchup. It's not just a suburb. That is great. That is I can't claim that as my own, but, yeah, I thought was, I've always wanted to use that. <laughs> it's freaking amazing where you saw an opportunity and you took it. Good on you. Um, oh, geez, I lost my train of thought because that was so amazing. I think this, you're right, the sample size is too small to say about whether or not the Swans have mental scarring from the grand final and it's related to the MCG. But I think it's concerning that of their last four games at the MCG, they've had one win and their three losses have been pretty bad. Granted, they only just lost to Essendon, but they lost to Essendon 
2022. <laughs> that is, I'm saying this as an Essendon supporter and as a Sydney supporter, both parts of me understand how bad that loss was. Believe me, I am under no illusion that Essendon were a good team last year. They were not. So to have a loss like that was absolutely terrible. And then to follow that up in the grand final with the shellacking, it's difficult because you often see interstate teams when they get spanked in the grand final one year to come back a year later at the MCG and really struggle. So I don't know. It's just back-to-back grand final. It's back-to-back MCG shellackings. It just makes me think maybe there is something there. The ultimate test will be against Collingwood at the MCG in round seven. You can back me up. You can you can fact check that, Mr. Researcher, <laughs> Mr. Journalist. Uh, whether or not that's the case, I'm pretty sure it is round seven, Collingwood versus Sydney at the MCG. It's going to be an absolute monster clash. The first time in 10 years that they're playing at the MCG. Okay, round eight, close enough. Thank you for that, Mr. Showoff. Um, <laughs> but no, I think it should be it should be a ripping contest. But I just I just wonder because the problem with the grand final shellacking like that, sure, older players, you know, they've had they've had bad losses before at Swans. But I um, just wonder how that affects the younger players. I wonder how that affects players like Amadi. How does that affect Chad Warner? How does that affect younger players who haven't gone through that? Don't have that kind of um. Uh, uh, doesn't have that kind of maturity yet to deal with something like that. So, I don't know um, if it, I don't know if it will mentally scar them yet. But I'm just saying, once is an anomaly, twice possibly a weird coincidence, three times especially in a row. That's a trend. So I'm just saying that round eight clash is going to be huge. Now on to the last talking point, and this I really struggled with actually putting as a talking point, but I'm putting it nevertheless. The Eagles had seven injuries against the Dockers. It was like a one-sided demolition derby where you compared to the demolition derbies where lots of players got rubbed out from both teams. It was just one team getting rubbed out. And it wasn't Fremantle beating the crap out of them. It was the injury gods beating the crap out of them. Don't know if you've ever seen the scene in Family Guy where Meg has that doll of Lois with all the pins sticking in it. And she thinks, oh, this bloody doll never worked. And she takes out one of the pins and she dabs her with it. And Lois goes, ow, what was that? It was like the injury gods were like that. The West Coast, they had a doll of the West Coast Eagles. I don't even know what that doll would look like, but they had the doll of the West Coast Eagles and they were just constantly sticking pins in it going, I wonder what would happen if I stick it in there. Boom, broken ankle. What would happen if I do this? Luke Shuey, another soft tissue injury, blah, 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 blah. I want to ask you though, right? For a team that last year had a two-win season, they are now one and two. Just like last year, they suffered a massive loss in the Western Derby. And just like last year, already their season seemingly shot due to injuries and absentees. I want to ask you, is it time for them to finally admit that players like Darling, like Hearn, like Shuey, like McGovern, it's about time that they leave? Yeah, it's it's a baffling one because I think a lot of people thought their rebuild should have started a couple of seasons ago. And I don't think we really expect them to do what Hawthorne's done and get rid of all of their experience because my view is that there still needs to be a bit of a blend between experience and youth and letting those players in as healthy of an environment as possible. Um, but they've really just, they really haven't started the rebuild, have they? They've, They're hanging on to these players and some of it's probably because they're on two big contracts 
too big a contract that no one wants to take him. You know, with the Jeremy McGovern, Nick Nat Nui, and also wanting them to retire as Eagles players. Um, I understand that. I don't know if that's the, the thinking that's going behind it, but um, I think there's got to be an eye towards the future. And I think some of the senior players should be looking at themselves and, and wondering if that immediate future holds them in it. And like it's hard to say for players that have one or two years left, maybe to look towards the future of the footy club and, and maybe cut their career a year or two short. Um, but I think the list management team should start to have some difficult conversations with some of these senior players to maybe, uh, hey, maybe it's time we move on or you stay within the club. We need to get more games into some of our youth. Um, so, yeah, it's they haven't started the rebuild at all. And, and the thing with that is that there's still enough quality out on the park to show that they're a better side than what they've had, what they've been. So it's baffling with West Coast. Um, so yeah, it's a tricky one because I know it's not easy to just drop some of those players um, just so quickly, especially players that have won, won your premiership just five years ago. Um, but yeah, I think some of those senior players should start to see the writing on the wall. And again, this isn't me retiring players, but I think there's got to be some realistic conversations had and even if that involves finishing their career um, elsewhere, if they want to continue playing for the for the better for the betterment of the football club, that might have to happen. But it's a tricky one, and I know it's not an easy one to navigate. But the rebuild has to start at some point, and it it hasn't. It really has not. So I'm not too sure what they're doing. I'm not too sure what their plans are. We could be looking back here in three years' time and go, "Wow, what a masterstroke!" But if that happens, I will gladly wear that and I'll gladly revisit this conversation and be like, yep, Elo, you're an idiot. You got it wrong again. But I can't see that happening, to be honest, Casper. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> look, yeah, imagine. Look, you're, I mean, it has to happen eventually, right? If you got sure. a band-aid, if you got a band-aid on your arm, you got to rip it off eventually. The Eagles have gone for the ripping very, very slowly one hair follicle at a time method, whereas Sydney back in 2018, 2019 went for the rip fast, immediate intense pain, but longer term gain method. And they made grand final in 2022. Yeah, they got smashed, but you can't say that this once won't be in premiership contention for the foreseeable near future, at least. Totally. It's the Eagles. They're just in no man's land at the moment with a list that is still really, really old. And they, I'm I'm sorry, but they, they traded for Tim Kelly. They gave up a lot for him and he's been really disappointing. And now they're stuck with the awkward situation of, well, do we go what North Melbourne did and freaking sell everyone like what Hawthorne did last year? Or do we try to keep some of them? Like, it's it's a really difficult situation, and I don't envy the list manager's job there. I don't know who the list manager is, but I don't envy their job in the slightest. But, yeah, it's absolutely time for them to, to – I'm sorry, Luke Shuey, great player, phenomenal, won them the grand final in 2018, but he just gets way too injured. I'm sorry. And you have to have someone else's captain. You cannot have your captain just get injured constantly 24-7. Nat Fife saw the writing on the wall when he got constantly injured last season. 
I think it's time that Luke Shuey gives the captaincy to someone. Maybe not someone quite as short as Liam Duggan. <laughs> Duggan, don't know if you've seen that bit about him on the podcast. That was pretty funny that he does with Will, uh, Will Schofield. Um, but in all seriousness, I think it's about time that McGovern retires. I think he is winding down very quickly. I think it's about time that Luke Shuey retires. I think it's about time that Hearn retires. Um, honestly, out of all their old players, I think Nat Nui is the one you keep because he's still such a dominant ruckman when he's playing that you can't get rid of him. And you don't want to sell absolutely everyone um, to completely bottom out. But surely the transition has to happen. Surely. Now, on to the... Easter round, and it starts off with a monster Thursday night clash. It always is between the Lions and the Magpies at the Gabba on Easter Thursday. It should be a ripper now due to COVID. This is only the third time since the fixture was restarted by the AFL in 2019 that these two teams are playing on Thursday night. Collingwood won the first one in 2019 by 10 goals. You guys won the one last year by seven points in an absolute ripper. I remember that was the first game that we first came across the dreaded the dreaded umpire descent rule, which I'm just sorry, it's just absolutely ridiculous. In, in hindsight, that probably could have been another talking point, but that's besides the point. We're on to the third section now. Um, I want to ask you, Eli, I'll let you start with this one. Can your boys, can your boys do it again, bounce back from a disappointing loss interstate with a win at home? Well, I'm tipping Brisbane in my tipping competitions, because one, I can't tip against us. And two, could very well be my point of difference. Um, but my head, um, as much as my heart says Brisbane, my head is telling me Collingwood will win this one. They've been in such good form that it's hard to hard to say that we're going to bounce back for sure because we've only showed it once and not even for four quarters. So, um, yeah, I'm tipping Collingwood to win this one by three goals. Um, and I'm also tipping... As much as it pay me to say, I've got a feeling that McStage is going to go off um, and for some reason just kick a bunch of goals and something that he didn't really do for us a lot. He was a, definitely a role player. It's very serviceable. But that's a, that's a little sub tip I've got in there. McStage is going to kick four. I hope not. I hope not. But yeah. Does that make you salty? The fact that he's oh. had a much better career at Collingwood than he ever did at Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, Tom will tell because... He was such a frustrating player to watch because he had all the attributes of being able to be a superstar. He could really could have been, and it's it's not too late for him, I suppose. Um, but when you got a bloke that's six foot five hundred kilos, athletic as hell, um, good field kick, not admittedly not great on goal, he definitely worked on it. Um, look, it, all, all the best to him. I wasn't sad to see him go, but um, if our four line continues to struggle the way that it has, then. Maybe I'll come back and maybe change that, change my train of thought there. <laughs> Jeez, imagine if you had gotten rid of Eric Kipwood instead of signing up to that massive contract. But anyway, that's besides <laughs> the point. I told the uh, one of the other Collingwood supporting uh, people on this podcast, Liam Webster McAllister, I told him that he's going to head into Anzac Day or with a five, uh, sorry, with a four and one record. And he asked me, who are they going to lose to? And I told them Brisbane. Now that was before Brisbane put in that shambolic performance, but I'm still going to tip them. Just which, which shambolic performance? If this was in Melbourne, I would have tipped Collingwood without a doubt. But I think Brisbane at home is such a dangerous proposition, and we don't know how good Collingwood's going to be interstate this season. They were pretty meh interstate in 2022. 
I just think that Brisbane are just going to bounce back, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they produced a performance like they did against Melbourne. It should be a close game, though. I'm tipping them by about two goals. On to Good Friday for the first time. The Blues are featuring on Good Friday afternoon against North Melbourne. Uh, will the Kangaroos bounce back? Well, I tell you what. Last week I went with every single uh, favorite uh, in terms of the bookies. Um, for the first time ever, because I normally go for a couple of upsets. And guess what? That netted me a total of three votes, uh, three three correct tips. So that's, I'm not doing that again. Learned my lesson, not doing that again. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tip in an upset North Melbourne. Why am I going to tip North Melbourne? Now, yes, it's true. Carlton should have won by one more against the Giants because they missed so many goals. But they nearly lost to the Giants. If it wasn't for one of the worst umpiring decisions in recent memory, they would have beaten the. They would have lost to the Giants in Sydney. It would have been a shambolic loss. If for me, Carlton haven't improved since last year and since this time last year when they were barely winning games against teams, so they should absolutely crush. And I am tipping a monster boil over. This seems like the kind of game where an Alistair Clarkson master stroke would come in and absolutely cause the opposition to lose their pants and get spanked in front of everyone. I am tipping the Kangaroos by five points. Because here's the thing about North Melbourne. They're tenacious. They'll stick to it. They'll pinch a few more upsets this year, but they won't crush anyone. So they'll get a few more wins, but their percentage will be pretty low. I'm still tipping them to win, though. I would absolutely love for that to happen. Um, You're welcome not... to your girlfriend, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Shout out, Aya. Um, I don't, I don't actually have the stats in front of me, but I'm just assuming that the Good Friday clashes. I don't think there's been a good game since that's been introduced with uh, Bulldogs and North, but it's been one good game. One, okay, so. For the sake of the Good Friday clash, I'm hoping that this can actually be a mainstay and a, well, a mainstay for North Melbourne. They uh, give them some credibility to run with it moving forward. Um, but I've got Carlton winning this one. Um, I would love for an upset, but um, yeah, my head is gonna go with Carlton. And I'm gonna say four goals, but I would love to be wrong. On to Saturday, I uh, don't have the fixture in front of me, so I'm going to waffle on for a little bit. Uh, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Oh, I remember it. Right. Adelaide versus Fremantle <laughs> at the Adelaide Oval. Eli, last year was awesome. It was the, everyone talks about Maradona with the hand of God. Well, this was the fist of God from Chapman <laughs> against the Crows in one of the most genius high-level IQ, IQ 1000, I think the kids call it plays I've ever seen in my entire life possibly the smartest football play since that toe poke from Matthew Scarlett in the grand final and I mean it I'm talking of course about Heath Chapman the golden fist to deny the Crows the draw I want to ask you what's going to happen this time around will the Crows continue their momentum or will the Dockers get on a roll I think this one at this point in the season it's a bit of a flip of the coin for me um but I've got at some point, I think Fremantle still has to get to the level that I think we expect them to be able to be at. And I know you help what you expect them to be at, which is the last day of September. Um, but yeah, I've got Fremantle winning this one. I think they're really gonna kinda hit their straps uh moving forward. I think obviously West Coast wasn't the greatest opposition, but um they they showed why. 
uh, for periods of that game that they they have been would say highly touted, but um, at least in the conversation for the for the eight, um, and showed in periods last year that they're so strong. So I think the defense is going to come back to the four, and they're going to win this game by three goals. Should be a ripping clash. Now you would have thought that I would have spent that time looking up the rest of the fixture so that I can actually remember it. Um, let me just waffle. Oh, it should be a great game, Adelaide versus Fremantle. It should be it should be a ripper. Uh, I'm tipping the Crows to win in a little bit of an upset. It should be an absolute beauty. Um, oh, I should also mention, sorry, just on that North Melbourne Carlton game. Uh, it seems that both. Uh, so Griffin Logue, I think, has had his suspension. Yep, so there you go. Both uh, Griffin Logue and Blake Akers will miss for their respective teams uh, after having their suspensions upheld by the tribunal. So that will be huge. On to Richmond versus the Western Bulldogs, two teams that have been pretty disappointing so far this season. I'm tipping the Tigers to bounce back just because even though, yes, the Dogs had a very emotional win, Brisbane were pretty terrible. And also uh, how much of that with the Jamara factor? being, you know, that that emotion that he brought to the game and that passion that he brought to the game. I don't know if he can back that up week on week. And I don't know if the dogs can rely on, you know, one of their forwards pulling one of those incredible games out of their backside once in a while to really challenge a team like Richmond. I think the Tigers will win. Um, they've been teasing us so far, Richmond, this year. They've had, you know, occasional great games and occasionally, you know, packed to the games where they've been terrible. Um, this game, I think they'll win and grab their second victory of the season. Eli, what will happen? Will it be the Tigers or the Dogs? Yeah, I agree. I think Tigers winning this one, uh, you're right. Uh, we probably flattered the Dogs a little bit with the way we played, but um, I still expect both teams to be highly competitive throughout the year. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've just got Richmond above, uh, ahead of the ledger on this one. Should be a ripper. On to St Kilda versus Gold Coast. All of a sudden, this game before the season started seemed like such a snooze fest. All of a sudden, the Suns beat the Cats and the Saints are 3-0 for the first time since 2010. Eli, what the heck has happened? Who's going to win? Will it be the Saints going 4-0 or can the Suns pitch, pinch their second straight upset? A St Kilda mate of mine was actually talking about, um, he actually worded it better than what I'm going to paraphrase it as, but the uh, Easter being... Uh, was when Jesus was reborn. Um, not to religious type, correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, he's seen that as Ross the boss having the St Kilda club, St Kilda Footy Club reborn, and I think they're going to carry this through with a convincing win. Uh, but you're right. If <laughs> before the season, you would have thought Saturday night footy, give it a give it a break. But um, yeah, now I've got St Kilda winning this one by five goals, but that will be a late. They'll kick away late, I think. I like it. I like it. I'm tipping the Saints in this one. I'm very tempted to tip the Gold Coast Suns, but I'm tipping St. Kilda in a ripper. I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns win this game, though. On to Sydney versus Port Adelaide at the SCG. What a game this promises to be. Uh, not, I think this is going to be a, a one-sided game, I'll be honest with you, on paper. Uh, that being said, though, the Swans haven't beaten Port Adelaide since 2016. But you know the problem with a drought is that eventually it's going to end sooner or later. And the more wins you add to a streak, the closer you get to losing. And I am tipping the Swans to finally break that drought. They'll beat the power, add more misery, and they'll end Ken Hinckley's career. Okay, maybe that's a too far, but I'm tipping the Swans to win by four to five goals. So we're ending West Coast player, West Coast Eagles players' careers, and now Ken Hinckley's 
Absolutely. Absolutely. The podcast is coming for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> be afraid. Be no very afraid. <laughs> be um, very, I'm, I'm very, a... very afraid if you are in the football industry. Casper is coming for you, but uh, I think Sydney are coming for Port Adelaide, and I agree with you. I think on paper, they, they, they should have this one in the bag. I like it. I like it. The the, the referencing to me coming for coming for different people's jobs and coming for Port Adelaide. I like it. Anyway, on to Sunday. Easter Sunday, uh, hoping you're going to be gorging yourself on chocolate. I know I am. Uh, pre-diabetes, be damned. Bombers versus Giants at Marvel Stadium. I can't remember whose turn it is to say to have this one. So you know what? I'll have this one because I'm an Essendon supporter. Again, the Giants, since 2016, we've really struggled against them. But with that being said, they have, you know, they're, they're kind of, eh, you know, they have a lot of players missing. We, I think, will be rather, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, smarting after the loss against the Saints. I'm tipping the Bombers by four goals. Yeah, I think I'll go up the same. Um, Essendon has looked looked quite good this season so far, and you can't really trust GWS too much, especially with, especially not with the tipping. So, yeah, I've got Dons as well. Should be an interesting game. This one I don't think will be an interesting game. They might have to reprise their uh, the cameo of the Freeman- East Fremantle Sharks. I think they're called from the Waffle, uh, the West Coast Eagles, with how injured they are. They host the Melbourne Demons. I think this game's going to be fairly straightforward, don't you think, Eli? At Melbourne by 10 goals. No, nah, West Coast by five goals, this one. What? Nah, joking, what? but uh, yeah, nah, no chance. It's Melbourne. not April Fool's. <laughs> I've missed. The, I've only just missed the boat, haven't I? Yeah, yes. Yeah, you've got um, to wait another almost three hundred and sixty-five days. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, Melbourne by plenty. Yep, indeed. On to Easter Monday. It's a fascinating clash. Seventeenth hosting. Uh, sorry, I should say eighteenth hosting seventeenth. Yeah, eighteenth is currently. $1.18 favourites versus Hawthorne, who are just under $5. Eli, surely, surely Geelong get a win. Surely. Surely, yes. And it wasn't too long ago that this probably would have been a 1v2 clash, albeit early in the season. Um, but at least with uh, with where both teams would have ranked at the end of the year. So um, it's a bit of a far cry from where we were, but I, I don't think Geelong is as bad as they have been so far, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Geelong's going to win this and bounce back big. I like it. I like it. I am tipping the Hawks to win. That's (laughs) right. I've done it. I've been so impressed. It's not so much me being so impressed with Hawthorne and Sam Mitchell, just more so with how horrified I am or what Geelong are bringing up. I mean, I thought they would, you know, have suffered an elimination final loss. So I expected them to play finals, but only just to get there. I did not foresee them being this poor this stage of the season and they are going to be the first reigning premier since god knows when since adam and eve are walking the earth they're going to be the first reigning premiers since moses survived the flood like i haven't read the bible i don't know but since (laughs) whatever religious figure whatever (laughs) religious figure you want to insert into this metaphor they it'd be first reigning premier since then you go zero and four to start the season and i think panic bells will be hit at GMHBA Stadium. Eli, this has been such a fun episode. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure to have you on as always. Best of luck for Thursday night. As one, uh, as an Essendon supporter to a Brisbane supporter, I hope you kick the shit out of them. (laughs) No, thanks for having me and I hope you didn't uh, 
hope no one tuned out too much to my my rants and ramblings about Brisbane. I could have gone on a lot more, but um, yeah, look, it's been a disappointing start, but hopefully we do bounce back in some capacity. But thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun as always. I'm, uh, I'll be stoked to come back on and hopefully be speaking a lot better about Brisbane's performances. Well, one can only help. One can only help. Dear listener, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join me next week as a co-host and I will review the Easter round, which promises to be huge no matter what happens and preview a monster round five gather round in Adelaide, starting off with Thursday night, Adelaide hosting Carlton. Again, in air quotes, hosting Carlton at the Adelaide Oval. Until then, sayonara. Sayonara.